Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. Our senior, well, it's really a privilege for me to be here today and to be able to speak on such a topic. It's a difficult topic. It's about persecution. It's the last beatitude. Maybe the, maybe it's the climax of the beatitudes. And we're going to talk about it. I feel pretty humbled to talk about this subject. And, um, so I just want to pray to begin with, if you don't mind. I want to thank you, Lord, for the great privilege of being able to open the Bible and speak about the things that you taught us. I thank you for the great blessing it is, Lord, for being blessed as Christians, to be blessed even with persecution. And I want to thank you, Lord, as I talk about this, that you would uh, make it practical for everyone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Okay, uh, I don't know how many of you have heard the name Georgie Vins. Many years ago, probably in the late 70s, uh, he was put in prison and he became sort of a symbol of persecution in the Soviet Union. Just a little bit about him. His father, though he was born in Russia, lived in first in Canada, in Saskatchewan, and then later in the States where he went to college. But he got a burden to go back to the Soviet Union to preach the gospel there. When he went... Uh, after he was there not that long, he married. They had a small son, Georgie Vince. And uh, then shortly after that, he was arrested under Stalin's regime because he was a pastor. He was in prison three years. He was able to come home for a little while. He was imprisoned again for nine months, and then he went home again. And then uh, he was imprisoned for ten years This is when Georgie was probably six years old. Uh, Then he never returned. They didn't know what happened to him, probably until Gorbachev opened the secret KGB files, where they learned that his father was executed uh, by pistol in one of the strict regime labor camps. Georgie himself grew up to become a pastor in the churches there, and eventually When the Soviet regime became very strict about religious freedoms, they would uh, they began to put restrictions on the church. For example, they would ask the deacons and the pastors to stand at the door and not allow anyone in who was under 18 years of old, 18 years of age. They would not allow baptisms of anyone under a certain age. They wanted the outlines and the sermon notes uh, that people preached, and they wanted to be sure that the content was not damaging to people. He stood against this, and because of that, uh, he, he became the leader, or one of the two leaders, the main leaders, of what they, they never really called it the underground church, they called it the unregistered church. And because of that, he was put in prison many times. The first time, it was for about three years. He came back and was more careful. He found that he had to go into hiding. 
He had five children, and yet he was imprisoned much of their growing up years. So he went into hiding for quite a few years, but then eventually was arrested again, this time for 10 years, strict regime, labor camp. And of course, he must have visions. Yeah, my dad never returned from this. That's when he became known in the West. Uh, some people started to take up his cause, and he became known. And in the 70s, some of you may have heard of him. I heard of him in the 70s when people were protesting to try and get him out of prison. And uh, when I first heard of him, I was a new, a brand new Christian. I was kind of a hippie before I became a Christian. And I had just come into the church. I had nothing. I knew nothing about things like persecuted believers. That was all new to me. But it struck me deep in my heart, someone so committed to Christ would be put in prison and some of the things that he'd gone through there and his family. So I began to pray daily for this family. Then suddenly, uh, as he would tell it, he was awoken from bed in the strict regime labor camp he was in and flown to Moscow with no explanation. The next thing he knew, he was on a plane to the U.S. They stripped him of his Soviet citizenship and they sent him to America and his family was to follow soon. They had made, under the Carter administration, there was a, a prison exchange with two spies, and he became one of those that was able to come to the States. Um, I think it's been a great, what's been one of the greatest privileges of my life is to get to know this family. Um, that's my apartment, and that's my roommate which is Natasha Vins, the daughter of Georgie Vins, and Georgie Petrovich there in eating some food. One of the greatest privileges of my life, because I was a new believer, I didn't know much about how to follow Christ, and they became, in many ways, my mentors in my early years as a believer. Uh, we can go on with that story, but just to say, these were very humble people. Very bold, but very humble, as I got to know them. I remember when he had to speak at a conference in uh, Chicago, I think it was, and um, he was sitting down in the congregation, and up in front they had this huge banner that said, Georgie Vins, Hero of the Faith. And he refused to get up and speak until they took that banner down. He said, I am not a hero. The hero in my life is Jesus Christ. Because he's the only one that kept me strong during these years. And that's the type of man he was. And it was a great example for me. Um, I, and that's, let's look at the passage we're going to look at today. And we're just going to read it out together, if we can. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For this is the, king, the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Again, this is the very last beatitude, the last blessing. Happy are you when you're persecuted. What a statement to make. And uh, I think it's the climax of the Beatitudes. When Bill was up here, he talked about 
the lowliness of spirit that we need to have as believers. And Peter just talked about righteousness and how we need to hunger and thirst for it. And now it looks like the righteousness that we hungered and thirsted for is going to get us into trouble. Right? Blessed are you. And it looks like um, there's two statements. I don't know if you can see it. They're sort of in parallel. And it's interesting. I don't know if any of you know English grammar, but it's like it starts out in the third person and then it goes for the singular. So, for example, I could say um, people get persecuted. But then I could say you, you Erickson Coveterners, when you're persecuted, be glad. So he switches tones here. He switches from the third person to the first person. And he talks very personally, probably to his disciples. He knew what was going to happen. He knew all his disciples were going to be killed. He knew that his message wasn't going to be received well. He knew that. And so he turned the message, which is when he moved the Beatitudes into the new part, the next part of the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. I was at home repairing this, and I said to my husband, Peter, I said, Peter, have we ever been persecuted? And we had almost an argument about it. Because so I thought, no, I think we were. No, we weren't. We weren't ever persecuted. <laughs> and uh, it, it was an interesting discussion because maybe you don't know our history, but for 12 years, Peter and I worked in Pakistan, uh, working among the Muslim-majority believers there. Now, Pakistan is on the top list. It's, it's number five in the world's uh, countries that persecute Christians the most. Uh, and then for 12 years, we worked in Kazakhstan, which is in Central Asia and has become more and more uh, strict against um, believers and Protestants, pretty much anyone who's not either Orthodox or Muslim. So I thought, here we are kind of discussing whether or not we've ever been persecuted. Now, why in the world would we do that? I suppose because we felt, even in Pakistan, we felt that we were sort of a funny group. We were respected in many ways because, I mean, not deep down we weren't respected by people, but at least on the outside we were respected. We were foreigners. We had the protection of our countries. And so they weren't going to go after us in particular who they would go after is the people we talked to. And that was so hard to watch. I remember one young man in particular came and talked to us. And he said, I really want to follow Jesus. But I need to know, can you protect me? Because I'm going to lose my job. My family is going to disown me. They'll take away my inheritance. And everybody's going to hate me. Can you protect me? Do you know how that feels to have to say we can't protect you? This is part of your decision. And yet to feel like you're safe. I talked to someone in the early 70s who, or not in the early 70s, the late 70s, who had worked in Cambodia. And he had taught in a theological school. And he was talking about what had happened uh, when the killing fields started to take place when it started to heat up in Cambodia. And um, he, he said to me, 
I wanted to stay, but everyone was urging me to go. He said it was the worst feeling of all because I, how could I be safe when everyone else was going to be not safe? And he said that his, uh, the local people encouraged him that he had to go, that there was no point. And he did leave. And every one of his seminary students was killed. Everyone. So today, there is real persecution in the world. Have Peter and I experienced it? I don't know. I, I don't think so, but maybe yes. We started to think about it. We've certainly been closely knit to it. We've seen it. We've seen people being chased for their lives, really. And um, it was a hard question to answer. And it, it, it is a question. Also, in Kazakhstan, were we persecuted? Maybe not. Maybe in Kazakhstan, I felt more persecuted than in Pakistan in many ways. Because uh, there it got more personal. I mean... They came into the seminaries where Peter taught, and they ripped out the hard drives, for example. They eventually closed those seminaries. They came into my office. They searched it. They came in in fours and to discuss what we were doing. They made us get all of our books approved by a special council, which was really at the central mosque. And, uh, yeah, did we experience it, though? Well, we weren't put in jail. <laughs> We weren't, we didn't feel like in physical harm. Maybe in Pakistan we felt in physical harm. But we didn't feel we experienced persecution because others had it much worse. And so when I talk to you about this, I wonder if you feel you've been persecuted. Because you look at these stories and you think, no, others have had it much worse. Much worse. I don't know anything about persecution. I don't know how to relate to this topic. But I think persecution is in degrees. And we're going to talk about that and uh, discuss it a bit more. So let's take a look at what persecution is. Literally, it means being chased. That's what the Greek word means. It means being chased and there's not a good intent in being chased. They're not being chased down because, <laughs> because the person wants to get to know them. They're being chased because there's harm. Okay. And then the other thing it talks about in this passage um, is that, uh, okay, I'm losing my notes here. I'm not following my notes. That's the problem. Okay. (laughs) Is being accused. Being accused of all kinds of things. Being accused of being, I don't know, of having dumb ideas. Oh, this is outdated. Or being accused of doing wrong things, being slandered. I've had that happen to me being slandered terribly about things that you haven't done. And um, just being seen as someone who is not smart. That's kind of what it is here. I've heard people say, oh, come on, you must, you have an education. You can't believe that stuff. Or just being seen as uh, simpletons or, or judgmental or you name it. It's all kinds of things that we can be seen as and slandered for. Even being seen as doing, being a goody two-shoes. I don't know, all kinds of things. But persecution is about that. It's about being accused of many things. Okay. Are these, okay, let's look at the next slide. Okay. In, in, this, in this particular verse, it talks about two specific things. One is that, uh, righteous, that we're persecuted because of righteousness. And because of me. 
the two things together. Now, can I ask you, can we, can people just generally be persecuted because they're doing the right thing? Can people be, get into trouble for that? Is that what it's talking about here? Just getting in trouble for doing the right thing? Uh, can people get in trouble just because of their commitment to Jesus? Yeah. I think what these, this passage is saying is these two have to go together. Like, I think Jody Wilson-Raybould would say right now she's in trouble because she's doing the right things. It's always hard to know in these political arenas what the real agenda is. But uh, we're not talking about just doing the right thing. We're talking about doing the right thing, living a godly life because of Jesus. And we'll be persecuted because of that. Okay. I want to look at... Uh, Two types of persecution. The first is that which is legislated or enshrined in legal terms. I think this is the hardest kind, and this is what we think about, like what happened in the Soviet Union in those days, what's happening now. One in 12 Christians is persecuted in a very harmful way, either to death or in jail or or prison terms, you name it. But one in 12. And I think when it's legislated by the government, it's the hardest. We certainly lived under that in Sharia law, for example. In Sharia law, it was enshrined in law that one, Christian, two, one Muslim's testimony equals two Christian testimonies. In other words, your word was only worth half of what a Muslim's word was. And if you're a woman, it was even worse because one man's testimony equals two women's testimonies. So where were you then, a Christian woman? You had to have four Christian women to speak against one Muslim. That was enshrined in law. The blasphemy law, which was about uh, if you use the name of Muhammad in an inappropriate way, um, you could be put to death. Now, it's very rarely they actually carry this out, but it's enshrined in the law. So if a family member carries it out on their own relative, it's never brought to trial It's because the law backs it up. The other thing, when it's enshrined in law, Christians have no protection. So in Kazakhstan, for example, because Christians were being, uh, there was so much pressure under them, uh, people would feel free to do things like try and take their property or, uh, or make life very difficult, take advantage in many ways. Because the law wasn't going to protect them. The law was against them. So when actually it's enshrined in law, it is much more dangerous. And that's where you see a lot of the real harsh things happening. And maybe that's what we think persecution is. I mean, we just live in a place that doesn't have it enshrined in our law. Does that mean we have no persecution here? Maybe it's just a different level. Let's look at another type. Uh, social. It's more social then. And it's just the constant feeling of I'm somehow looked down upon in society, whether that be my family, whether that be my colleagues at work, whether it be the culture around me. Do you think that happens here? Yeah. I know when I became a Christian, um, my friends thought that I had gone crazy. My family thought I was a fanatic. 
And certainly, like my old teachers from high school and college really wondered what happened to me. I remember going and visiting one of those teachers, and I explained what we'd been doing, and, and he said, you aren't one of those that's going around trying to convert people, are you? Now, I have to say what that did to me. It was like, I didn't want to say that I, I was. <laughs> I definitely didn't. And I wanted, I felt ashamed. Right? I felt ashamed, like, this is not a respected thing by people. The things that we do and the things that we believe. Is that true? Can you see that as being persecuted? What does it do to you when you feel that the public opinion around you is negative? What does it do to you? You know what it does to me? It makes me afraid to say anything. It makes me a little ashamed. It makes me be more quiet. And that's here. Okay, so so don't think just of the legalized stuff. I was very afraid to share a lot of examples today because I thought maybe you'll not relate to this. Maybe you'll think that, oh, yeah, you experienced certain things that I've never experienced, any, or else these people that do this, they're special people. Nobody's special. It's just where we live. It's just God who's able to give us the strength when we're in these kind of circumstances, whether it's here, whether it's somewhere else. Let's look at the next uh, next slide. What should our response be? Rejoice. In fact, the, world is, the word is exult. Jump up and down, it kind of means. Now, how in the world could that be true? Why in the world, when we're being pressured and looked upon in negative ways, would we rejoice? Now, I want to give a little caveat to this because I don't think it's like, wow, I'm so glad that this is happening to me, this terrible stuff. It's never like that. If you read about the Apostle Paul in, uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians, he talks about what, what he'd experienced in his life about beatings and being twice stoned and being whipped and still not dying. And what he said about himself was, uh, dying yet still, oh, let's see now. Always carrying around, well, anyway, he said, sorrowing, but always rejoicing. Sorrowful, but always rejoicing. I want you to think about that mix. What a strange mix. But that's what I've seen in the lives of people that are persecuted, in the lives of anyone that's going through a hard time and who's grasping on to God. There's a sorrow because the things are difficult. But along with that, there's a rejoicing. There's a sense of joy. And what is that? It's kind of a sense of peace about how that fits in to the universe, how it fits in to your perspective. And we're going to take a look now at what it is that helps a person have that kind of a perspective. And the first thing is, it's an eternal perspective. If you read from this, um, this beatitude, it says that we're rejoicing because great, because yours is the kingdom of heaven. So you're looking with a heavenly perspective at your reward. And uh, that is what helps us to rejoice. It's a heavenly perspective. It's a perspective that this counts for something. 
This counts for something, and God is going to reward me. Now, there's a lot of question if you read about, read through the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. What exactly is the kingdom of heaven? And we won't get into that, but I will say, and I think that Dan's going to get into that a little bit next week. But I will say that uh, in this uh, perspective, it is an eternal reward. And it is something just absolutely beautiful. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's talking about a reward in heaven for the struggles that we face here on earth. When we are persecuted, when people look at us in a negative, degrading way, when people treat us as if we're secondary citizens or we don't, uh, we don't think things through, we can say, okay, Lord, you said this was going to happen. It's okay. For these kind of things, I will be rewarded. The other perspective is, think about the people that went before. It says, yours is the kingdom of heaven. For so treated, so they treated the prophets which were before you. Now, how were the prophets treated? If you read through Hebrews 11, it talks about the prophets being sawn in half, being killed, being disbelieved, being treated terribly. And then you think about Jesus himself and how he was treated. Treated terribly. Uh, in, um, and why were they treated that way? I think there's kind of two reasons. And uh, I wish Tom was here because I'm going to talk a little bit about influence. They wanted to stop that influence. In Jesus' case, the Pharisees had kind of sewed things up with the Roman government. They'd sewn it up so that they were kind of going to be safe. They'd worked out a deal with them. And they also had their own place of prosperity in their in the system. They were respected. They were the ones that people looked to. When Jesus came on the scene, they were afraid of his influence. They were afraid that he would influence enough people that the Roman government would be upset again. They were afraid that they would lose their place of prominence in the religious circles. And they wanted to destroy his influence. And I do want to say that that's why, that's one of the things that happens with us in terms of being silenced. So that our influence in society, so that moral voice isn't heard. So that was number one. Uh, Number two is that uh, because they spoke truth. Now, there's a there's a funny verse in in about uh, King Ahab. He wanted to call. They often called in prophets to prophesy what was going to happen next. And he he was he talked to a lot of prophets. And then someone said, well, you need to call Micah. Micah is really good. So he says, oh, I'm not going to call Micah because he always says bad things about me. Always said bad things. And Jesus was also saying things to the Pharisees that they didn't like. You're hypocrites. Now, I'm not advocating that we all walk out and call our neighbors hypocrites and, and start talking negative things about them. That's not what I'm saying. But they were not afraid to say what was true. Now, for me, sometimes things aren't difficult to say. I can easily say, you know, God loves us all. But if I have to say to someone, you know, what you're doing right now is maybe not in line 
with how God would want you to behave. Then it starts to get a bit trickier, doesn't it? Or my beliefs. I can say easily, oh, I believe that God loves us and cares for it. When I have to start talking about the blood of Jesus and different things that are harder to explain, you know, it's harder for me. I, in my mind, I'm starting to think, they're going to think I'm nuts. They're going to think I'm crazy when I talk about stuff like this. They won't understand that. And a lot goes on in our head. A lot more goes on in our head than goes on sometimes out there. They're never going to accept this. They're going to think I'm nuts. They're, they're not going to listen to what I have to say. But speaking the truth and being able to do it is important. Because we have to have influence and we have to speak truth in the world around us. In an environment that's maybe not so friendly to our message. Okay. Um, How can we apply this to ourselves? Let's, how do we do it? How do we do this in application? I want to talk about another verse that Peter, in, in his book, uh, discussed. Let's go to the next slide there. Peter was one that suffered a lot of persecution. He wasn't ready for it in the beginning. Do you remember when Jesus was arrested? how he denied that he even knew him. But with time, Peter grew in his boldness to be able to speak up. And eventually, what tradition says, is he was crucified upside down on a cross. And he died for his faith. And he learned to speak the truth. And this is how he suggests we do it. Even if we should suffer for what is right. Now remember the beatitude, we, are, um, we suffer because of our righteousness. Even if we suffer for what is right, you're blessed. You're happy. Blessed. Don't fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Now, for me, I can say it is fear that prevents me to speak the truth and to influence others. But he says, don't fear their threats. Don't be frightened. In the next verse. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. In other words, determine that you're going to honor God in what you have to say. And always be prepared to make a defense. Now, this is not talking about having a good argument for every subject. That is not what it's talking about. It's talking about being ready, being alert to the opportunities, being ready to open your mouth rather than to be closed down by fear. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you. Now, people will come and ask. Sometimes it's a quiet question. But we need to be ready to answer that and not hide who we are. Be ready to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that you have. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So we're not talking about going out and calling people down for the things that we consider are wrong about their lives. We're talking about giving a defense for the hope that's in us when people come and say, gee, I noticed this didn't bother you. And I say, well, I'm thankful to God because he's been teaching me so many things. You know he's really changed my life. That used to really bother me. Right? 
were able to answer with gentleness and respect, not with anger and disrespect, but gentleness and respect. That's the kind of way we need to be ready. Right? Why are we afraid to do that? Am I the only one that's afraid to do this? Like, you might look at me and say, oh, she's been in Pakistan, she's done this. You know what? I tremble at this kind of stuff. It's really hard for me to go against the grain. It's really hard. And I don't succeed a lot of times. But I think we can learn to do it. We can learn to be ready to give that kind of an answer. Because we need to. Because that's the way we influence. And that's the way truth is spread. We have to open our mouths. So, uh... I want to just give an illustration, and uh, I want to encourage everybody to realize that speaking truth and being an influence for God, it's not an easy thing, and fear is going to be your greatest enemy. You're going to need to, like I am, like I need to, overcome that fear and learn how to do it. Have a defense ready. Learn how to answer gently and respectfully. Uh, Mr. Vins was often asked a question, and it was phrased something like this. Uh, Don't you think that if we had more persecution like you faced, that we, the church would finally start to grow and be strong here? That's a common thought. I've heard it many times myself. And he gave this illustration. He said, when you look out over the forests, And you see a tree, you think the leaves are green, he said. But when the fall comes, when the sun gets lower on the horizon, and when that first first frost comes, the leaves stop producing chlorophyll. And chlorophyll is green, and it masks, actually, the true pigment, pigment of the leaves. And what happens is they turn their true color, And he said, what happens in persecution? It doesn't make the church stronger. It just shows the true color of a Christian's faith. And I know for us, we've lived in countries that have been persecuted. It doesn't help the church grow. We're asked to pray for freedom. We have it. And we can learn to show our true color now under the what we would call very light opposition that we face. But it is real opposition. When I watch TV, almost every Christian that's portrayed is either a fanatic, either has got some sexual perversion on the side, is highly judgmental, is negative, is narrow-minded. And there is uh, an, an atmosphere where Christianity, at least Christianity that takes the Bible seriously, is seen somehow as lesser and as not good. We face that here. How are we going to face it? Are we going to face it in a way that we want to stand up and be influencers? We want to stand up and speak the truth, not in a nasty way, not in a negative way, but in a way to show the hope that's in us. I can say, Christ has given me great hope. He's changed my life. When I first met him, I was into drugs and drinking, and I was one of those hippie characters that you see. 
And I became desperate. And God stepped into my life. He stepped into my life and he changed it. He's made so many changes in my life. Changes in the way I think. Changes in the way I relate to people. Changes in my desire to really be uh, part of a help in other people's lives. He's given me a hope like I never had. I was hopeless. And I want to share that. I want to be able to share it. I want to overcome the fear and be an influencer in society. Do you want to do that? Will Erickson Church stand up and be influencers in this community? Okay. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you because you are our hope. It is a blessed thing, Lord, to know the hope we have in you. And to be called, Lord, towards persecution. And to know that you're with us, you stand with us, you love us, and that you will help us, Lord, give us courage and boldness to be all you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey, whether you're finding Jesus for the first time or you have been following him for years. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by what you heard today? We invite you to share this podcast so they can be encouraged too. For more information or to ask more questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Erickson Covenant Church.